Good evening, everyone. Um, tonight we have a um, just a small idea again from our uh, ongoing education and video game series. So I have a uh, just a little thing I wanted to share that I think is important. Now that all the big topics are done, which is the topic of failure. Failure. Failure is something that we're all uh, quite familiar with, unfortunately. There's nobody who's free from such a thing. Failure is one of those things that uh, kind of separates the men from the boys, or the women from the girls, as my esteemed father-in-law used to say. Because although failure, um, you know, we all experience it, so it it does seem to impact different people differently. So, on the one hand, you have some people for whom they get broken by failure, right, and they're done. And you have other people who will talk to you about how their mistakes and their failures uh, really built them, and that uh, was part of their process. And I lost everything, and then I just built it all back up again. And they have all these uh, speeches that they give. So what's the difference, really? Right? What's the relationship with failure? Is there a difference in how they're... Is there altogether a difference in how they're relating to it? Is it just different temperaments? Right? Or different childhood experiences? You know, how secure you are, self-confidence, these kind of things. Are, are there different ways to relate uh, to failure that at least could uh, you know, push us more in one direction than the other, that we could utilize the failures to kind of move forward, or um, instead of you know, getting stopped or broken. So look, it, the, it's, it's a little bit bizarre. Our relationship with failure is a little bit bizarre. Um, because there's, we all fail, and it's not just once. We've all failed numerous times. Uh, actually, at this point, countless times. And we fall in the same area many, many times, and we fail in, uh, in different areas sometimes, right? We get a and ambicuous in failure. And yet, there's still a very, uh, what are you going to do with that? Right? How are you going to relate to it? And you end up, for the most part, people who are not, if you haven't done any conscious work on this, you end up in one of two camps. Right? Either, again, because I have a need to be okay, and failure, almost by definition, comes across as not okay. Right? Failure to live up to my ideals, failure to uh, complete a project, Failure to see through on a promise. All those failures, um, you know, failing my own values. All, all of those failures are, uh, you know, seem bad. Right? The word failure is definitely not evoking any positive associations. So I get a choice. Right? I need to feel okay, and failures are seem fundamentally not okay. So one of those two things need to switch in order for me to be able to move forward. Either I'm going to stay okay, right, and I'll just pretend 
like the failures aren't there. I'll keep striving for a failure-free existence. I'll keep pretending, like for some reason, tomorrow, uh, and the next day, and the next week, and whatever, are going to operate fundamentally different from every day and week that I've experienced up until now, all of which included failures of one kind or another. But next week, no. Right now, I'm going to be perfect. And so we, we kind of sell ourselves on this idea of a perfect self and a failure-free self, and with that false image of self, we can feel okay, even though fundamentally underneath it, we know that that's not a really accurate picture of ourselves and that we are uh, definitely failure-prone. And so we feel a kind of a fundamental not-okayness underneath that false, very thin layer of false okayness. You hear what I'm, uh, what I'm describing? Does this sound familiar to anybody? Some of you at least. So that's one way to go about doing it. Right? How do I move forward feeling okay about myself in the face of failure, which I deem not okay? I delete the failure. Perfectionism. I delete the failure and continue day by day and week by week to sell myself on a totally f- uh, false uh, self-image in an effort to delete the idea of failure and feel okay. And then inevitably failure comes back, which leads to a tremendous amount of not okay feelings until I go failure free for long enough that I can suppress the knowledge that the inevitability of failure and uh, feel perfect for as long as that lasts. That's one way to go about doing it. The other way to go about doing it, well, now, in theory, there's a, okay, well, another way to go about doing it is to make failure okay. Right? I'm okay. It's like a syllogism. I'm okay. I keep failing. Therefore, failure is okay. Right? That's an easy way to, instead of pretending the failure is not there, which is, takes ever so much effort and is a project which itself is doomed to failure. So instead, I'll accept that there's failures and that there's nothing wrong with it. Failures are okay. Now, this is very close to the truth, a little closer to the truth uh, than the previous. First of all, I'm aware of my failures. Right? There's no denial of the failures that are there. And in a certain absolute sense, you know, cosmic sense, failures are okay. Um, but in a very personal relative sense, you know, they're not, which is the difficulty that this position has. But fundamentally, what that looks like is the guy is falling short, and he knows it, and he'll even talk about it. He's not pretending it's something else. But, you know, this is how it goes. And not necessarily, like, to the full extreme where you're creating a whole philosophy around your failure. Right? Although you will, to a certain extent. And you start using uh, phrases, right? Or you have little catchphrases to explain why you're not living up to the things that you understand to be true. Because nobody lives up to what they be true. These are ideals. There's something to shoot for. Uh, the other things, you want to get a little more lechilachila, you talk about balance. Um, and you talk about uh, not being so rigid and uh, form versus content uh, and all these kind of things. I had one guy in the yeshiva actually told me uh, explicitly that since... Listen, oh, this is perfect. I was giving a share and I uh, was talking about the struggle of existing, right? the basic struggle we have with our own existence. Um, you know, it was, a, it was a happy, fun time in the share. And this guy who was there, was visiting, is like, 
I have no idea what you're talking about. He's an American guy. I'm like, what? What, what are you? I was <laughs> looking at him like, what? What do you not understand? So he said, uh, look, I don't know what the big deal is. You, you do the right thing. Right? You, sometimes it's hard to figure out the right thing. So you, you have to think about it, figure it out, and then you do the right thing. What's the big deal? So I was blown away by this man. I'm like, I don't know if you're like so incredibly deep that you should become my, my new guru or if you're so unbelievably shallow, right? It's like a, it's frightening. So there was another share I was giving, the same guy, and he tells me, listen, he says this all seriousness, which answered my previous Chakira of where he's holding. He said, listen, since it's impossible to keep the Torah, right? You can't do it. Since you can't keep the Torah, right? That's premise one. So that it can't be that what Hashem's expecting is for you to keep the Torah. Because, you know, Hashem can't be expecting you to do something that you can't do. So since you can't keep the Torah, then it must be that Hashem is not expecting you to keep the Torah. And therefore, what, is, what does He want you to do? You know, keep what you know. Right? That's uh, your best. So on and so forth. And the guy actually argued that, you know, learning more is not necessarily the best idea, because what's going to happen? You're going to learn more and more. It's more and more likely you're going to hit things that you can't do. All right? And then you're going to be in trouble. So better to stay with your um, partial understanding of the truth that you can, yes, live with, rather than broadening your understanding of the truth and turning it into something that you can't live, that you can't live with. All right? It made total sense then. So that's, uh, that's the kind of thing that your brain works out for you to make peace with failure. Right? That whole little system that that guy built. Right? You think about what's good, what's bad. Sometimes it takes a second. Right? Anything outside of the tiny sliver of reality that he allows himself to interact with, um, it's just, you know, whatever. It's better I don't know about that. Because what if it's something I can't deal with? Uh, and that's what Hashem wants, of course. Right? Hashem is the, uh, what do we call him? <laughs> He's like the imaginary friend at the tea party. Right? That's a great, great thing about having the great thing about God. Right? He doesn't talk much. Right? So that's what his God is saying. Sing, listen, I gave a Torah. I know none of you people can keep it. <laughs> Joke's on you. So obviously, you know, do your best with what you know. That's all I'm expecting. Everything's going to be fine. That's where this guy lives, and that's um, and you know I can make fun of him all we want, all I want. But uh, on some level, I share the same disease. And this is another way to go about doing it, and to say that failure is a, a part of life. It's saying a lot of the things that are the truth, but the, there's one twist that's necessary. Failure is the thing that's part of life. So that's fine. Right? Hashem's expecting failure. So chill. You try to do the right thing. It's hard to figure out. You figure it out. And then you do the right thing. And that seems like a... It's very close to the, to the way that you should relate to it. But the problem is, is what they are denying, like I said before, is the sense that there's something wrong with failure, that the word failure means something. Because again, it can't be that success and failure are the same. Because that wouldn't be fair to the you that succeeded. Think of every test or every anything you've ever been in. Anytime it was difficult for you to do the right thing. So, assuming that we're accepting the existence of free will, right, there was an option there for you to just 
throw in the towel and, and do the Avera. Just give up. Stop fighting. Go with it. And instead, you, uh, you got your act together and you, you did the right thing and it was hard. So if the you that gave up and the you that kept fighting, if they're the same, right, if that decision didn't make any difference in them, in some sense, and I'm including Olam Haba and all those things, if there was no consequences for that thing, that's not fair. You wouldn't vote for a system like that. That would render all the times that you struggled to do the right thing meaningless. Because you should just ride the, just ride the Eitzer, ride your body's forces all the way to pass the finish line, and it's all going to be the same anyway. So it can't be that failure is okay. And you know that, and you don't want failure to be okay, because it would uh, delete all the effort that you've ever put into anything. Right? You want a world where it's different if you succeed than if you fail. So you don't want to think about failure and negative. Okay, but you're definitely not headed where you were headed if you would have succeeded. And there's some element of not okayness in that. You can't shake it. So there's, uh, on the one hand, there's an accurate, a much more realistic view here, which is uh, about the inevitability of failure and the fact that Hashem must be expecting failure. But the next step, the conclusion, which is that therefore I'm going to remove all the not okay labels off of the failures, that's not an honest maneuver. All right? First of all, in any other uh, uh, area of life, we don't accept failure. All right? Good luck having, uh, explaining that to your boss. Listen, boss, no one can keep all the rules of this company. So obviously that's not what you're expecting of us. I try to do the right thing with, you know, the couple of lines I read in the company manual. You know, I try to basically try to stick to those. It's not going to work anyway. You don't accept that from your underlings, assuming you guys have underlings or minions or whatever you have. Uh, that would never cut it. Maybe uh, you'd throw them out or feed them to the sharks or whatever you do with minions and underlings. And also, like I said, even for yourself, you would never vote for such a world. Okay? So either one of these paths, there's a problem. In order to maintain my sense of okayness, right, even if it's going to be illusionary okayness, I'll take it. Either I have to deny the fact that I'm failing, which is a perfectionist way, which runs into serious problems when you fail, haha. <laughs> or I have to deny the not okayness of the failure. Right? Is there any other way out of this uh, conundrum? I don't think so. And either one is too far because fundamentally we understand that failure is not okay, at least relatively in the system that we live in with the possibility of success. And two, we understand that we fail. Right? So position one has a point, position two has a point, but each of them are, are messing with the other point in order to be able to move forward. So what's the real attitude? So the real attitude is like this. Video game companies are very interested in the idea of failure, and specifically about failure that, um, uh, what do you call it? A failure that demotivates. Right? A failure that's going to stop a player from playing is a failure that I should not have in my game. Right? I need, on the one, right? I can't have such a thing. So on the one hand, but on the flip side, I can't not have failure in my game 
because no one is going to choose to play a game in which there's no difference between success and failure. Right? No possibility of losing makes for a very boring game. Unless it's like a... Unless you're into, you know, like Minecraft or one of these things, where you just want just wanna to do creative mode and build stuff all day long. Okay, right? like playing with uh, Legos or whatever. All right, there are games like that. But generally speaking, any game we want to play, there has to be the possibility of defeat, possibility of failing, possibility of losing. Right? It's not a fun otherwise. So we wouldn't vote for such a game. So the, ga the, the gaming community, the, the developers, they know that, and therefore they have to give you a game with success and failure, right? and with real odds, right? not just the illusion of failure. Legit failure, legit loss of uh, life or supplies or time or effort or having to redo stuff, whatever it is, has to be some loss incurred when you fail to make the game interesting and, uh, and uh, to motivate the player. But on the flip side, I can't have the failures be debilitating, right? I can't, if the failures are too rough, too harsh, then the player's going to stop playing, right? Which sounds like a silly thing. But uh, let's uh, cut to Chazal. Let's see what they say, and then I'll share with you some of the... Uh... Yeah, let's go the other way around. So what they figured out is... And researching failure is that there are three maneuvers that need to be made with failure in order to weaken, right? In order to weaken its impact where it is still registered as failure um, and as something that needs correction, but it doesn't have any of the uh, demotivating effect, right? It's been sort of uh, cleansed in a certain sense. When its impact is not so negative, it won't stop you, and it's definitely not going to get you to, to stop playing the game, right? Just because you uh, keep losing, they have a way to do it where it's clearly a loss, but at the same time, you're ready to keep going, right? You're ready to try again. So they say it like this: it's three. It's a three-step process, okay? And this is optimally, obviously, obviously not every uh, situation is going to allow for all three. But these three would be the optimal uh, path. So step one is you need to externalize. It's not such condition, but they're, you know, they're necessary to think about. So number one is externalization. And this is the big one. Um, that the first step needs to be that I'm relating to the failure as something that is coming from outside of me. And not something that's coming from inside of me. Right? So what do I mean? So the example they gave was with uh, soccer or something, but you could use any example that you want. I'll stick to the soccer one because I'm tired and I lack imagination right now. So they said, listen, is it that this is a, you know, this is a particularly hard sport? Right. In cases I'm playing soccer and I'm clearly not very good, right? Or the people, yeah, let's say the people uh, I'm playing against, you know, they're winning. The other team's winning, right? You're losing. Right? No way that could be good, even though there's very few sports teams that could claim never to have lost. Right? But we all know losing is bad. Kind of the uh, sports equivalent of failure. So 
I could either say, listen, I suck at soccer. I'm just a terrible soccer player. That will be internalizing the failure. Or, wow, this, uh, this team's really good. Or this game is really uh, is a hard game. It's a rough game. Or soccer itself requires a, a lot of the player. I keep externalizing it that the failure is coming from the difficulty of soccer or the expertise of the other team. Right? There's something outside of me that is uh, moving things towards failure. It has nothing to do with me. Right? I am a, a good soccer player, and I'm going to, whatever, I'll move forward and keep soccering. That's number one, and that uh, seems kind of obvious and uh, interesting. The second one, the next two are really just comments on that, right? Which is because even in externalizing it, it can still be demotivating if you externalize it too generally, right? So you're, you're playing a video game, and you can't get past a certain board, right? The, the boss on level seven takes you out every time. So if you internalize and say, I'm terrible at this game, so that's going to be the end of you in the game, right? Nobody wants to play a game where they... That makes them, uh, exposes how terrible they are at it every time. But even if you externalize it too generally, like this game is impossible, so you're also going to turn off the game, right? So it, it's not enough just to externalize. You also have to particularize, right? as opposed to generalizing it, not global, right? not a GP, make it into an SP. Where you say, oh, this boss is really hard, right? This boss is really hard. So if you do that, then, meaning that the rest of the game is quite good and manageable, I may stick at it uh, with this boss. Right? I say this boss is impossible, but since the rest of the game isn't, it's very likely that I'll keep at it and then look up tricks on the internet and stuff in order to keep going, because the game as a whole is not a problem, just this particular scene, this particular stage, um, this particular enemy is too difficult. Right? It's a, I'm not devaluing the game as a whole, it's a particular situation, and that makes it much more overcomable, in my mind. Because it's a hurdle now, it's not a wall. I just have to get over this hurdle, and then the game will go back to being something I can play. Because I'm not bad, I didn't do that, and the game itself is not impossible, it's just this one scene. Now, but still, that could lead to you turning it off, because self-self, it could be from levels 8 and on, the game's manageable, but this guy's impossible, there's a move moving forward, I'm done. I'm done. So we want to do, we want to make it something temporary, right? Make it something temporary, and then you got it, right? Now I have it. It's not me, it's the scene. And even the scene itself, it's temporarily problematic. That's what I say over here, you know, I've been playing for a long time. My hands are probably tired. I know it's too early in the morning, or it's too late at night. Okay, or my hand, I haven't, I haven't been playing long, I've been playing too long, I haven't been playing long enough. That is uh, all these tricks where it's not me, it's the scene, and it's not even really fully the scene, it's just because of some temporary aspect of the scene. Right? That's all. Then, really, I don't see this failure as anything that should be preventing me from moving forward. Right? So, the, switching the failure from a wall to a hurdle is crucial in our relationship with failure. But note, at no point are we going to say that it's not failure. Right? This is going to be the magic. What we want to do is, yes, you get to have your okay, your sense of being okay, despite the fact that there's failure. But the failure is not okay. 
What you're doing instead is you're putting a line between you and the failure. I'm not going to pretend that, that I'm not failing. And I'm not going to pretend that failing's okay. But failing being not okay and me being okay are not a stira. Right? Those are two different things. I am failing, and failing is not okay, but that does not mean that I'm not okay. Okay? That's a, a limited... Uh, it's a limited uh, equivalence. How does he say it? I know. It's only a partial equal sign. It's not a full syllogism. That is what you need to do. And what that accomplishes is, is that I still feel okay. And then I can continue. And this particular failure is not okay. I'm going to work to get around it. And I want it to continue. It makes a difference. But what does that have to do with me being okay? Right? We're going to end up having both people be right. Just like the first guy, failure is so not okay, he wants to pretend it doesn't exist because it reflects on him being not okay. But the idea that failure is not okay is for sure true. Every single one of us would vote for success over failure. But on the flip side, like guy number two, failure is really okay in a certain sense, meaning I'm really okay despite the failure, but the failure is not okay. It needs to be fought and overcome. And I'll be motivated to do that uh, because I, I personally am okay. It's just it's this failure that that way would be that the failures would be something that I would be motivated to overcome because I myself am still good. And the failure still needs to be undone. Right? So I get to have my, have my cake and eat it too. So the chazal that links to this is in Brachos Dafid Zion. Um, talking about all the different uh, tefillahs that the Tanaim Amram used to say after Shmona Esrei. So it would be Alexandri. Uh, he used to say like this it is revealed and known before you that we want to do your will who's stopping us the yeast and the dough the leavening and the dough and shibud galios and the, uh, the fact that we are enslaved um, in galus you hear it from the you should subjugate them. You should subjugate from before us and from behind us. Right? That's like uh, the end of Meir. And we'll return to do, to do uh, we'll do tshuva and to keep your laws. With full heart. Um, so we're not going to do the full, you know, we're not going to examine it in full. There's a bunch of stuff here. It's the of other things. The Masha says something nice here. He says, um, that's Or Shabi Isa. Rashi says also it's the Yitzhahara, but specifically it's the he says there's uh, there's two ways we get pushed to do the wrong thing. One is where certain powers become too much, right? Too much taiva, too much ego. Those things it's puffing up. That's the Saor Shabi Isa. That is uh, the marshal for the Yitzhahara there, and on the flip side, right? So we're doing too much, and on the flip side, um, it, the other way is that it's too little, right? We're being crushed. Uh, into depression and these things where we don't have anything to give. And that is the Shibud Galias. That's what the Galias has done to us. So he says those are two different, those are pushes in two different directions. That's why he says, Tachniam from before me and from behind me, the behind me one pushing me to more and more than I should do. And the guy one in front of me stopping me from doing what I, what I need to do. That's what he's asking to be uh, saved from. It's a very nice shot. Uh, the, the relevance to our situation is, that look what Rabbi Alexandria is doing. When I say, listen, I want to win. I want to do your Ratzon Hashem. That's all I want to do. So, 
That is me saying, I'm okay. Hey, I'm okay. I want to do what's right. I want to know what's true and I want to live what's true. That's what I want. That's what I want. I'm good. I'm a good thing. I'm doing the right thing. I'm, I'm right. That's what I want. I want the right thing. Umima Akev. So then what's happening, man? You want the right thing. You're on board. Aye, aye, Captain. You're voting for the right side, whatever it is. So how come that's not what I see? <laughs> I don't see Ratzon Hashem when I look at your life. Sometimes. But many times, no. So Mima Akev, who's stopping it? Someone's stopping it. There's a Ma'akev. That's the Orsha Be'isa Shibut Galius. I'm talking about them like they're outside of me. It's not me. It's the Orsha Be'isa. It's not me. It's the Shibut Galius. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean he's like exempting himself? Listen, Hashem, you know what we want. We don't want to do your will. What are we going to do? You gave us the Yitzhar inside. You gave us the Goyim outside. What am I supposed to do? Half the time they're killing me. The other half the time they're, they're uh, using their daughters to seduce us away and feed us some bacon cheeseburgers and stuff. What do you want me to do? Anyway, I turn. I got stuff uh, pushing me to do the wrong thing. So that's not what he's saying. Right? He's saying, listen, here's the formula. Number one. I'm, I want to do what's right. I want to do what you want me to do, Hashem. That's what I want. That's all I want. What's stopping me is these two externals. And I'm not, that's not excusing me, but it's not changing me either. It's not changing me into something good to something bad or something not okay to something not okay. It doesn't reevaluate me necessarily. I put that in parentheses with a little star. But at the same time, these are problems that need to be overcome. And that's why in his next thing, he davens, Hashem, please, please, Hashem, I want out. I'm motivated to get out of these things. Please. They're there, and I know they're there, but it doesn't change me and who I am. I won't let it change me. But at the same time, I so desperately, Hashem, help me, I so desperately want to get out of here. Overcome these things. Move on. Right? That's a beautiful uh, that's a beautiful expression of this idea about failure. There's an externalization. Mashiba Gullis, you could argue, is making it more temporary. Right? But the externalization, which is going to accomplish this thing of I am okay and this is really not okay and needs to be stopped. But that to put the line between the two of them, Alexandri is saying it very uh, I think very clearly. So just to end with a story. Um, I went through a few different yeshivas in my day before I found my home in uh, Yeshivas Birka Satoa. And so uh, they sent a couple of us to, a, uh, to an Israeli yeshiva. And it was me and two of the guys were hanging out a lot. And it was not going well for us. Right? We had gone from the sort of uh, warm incubator type atmosphere of, of, uh, of Neve into this Israeli yeshiva that was not so incubating. Um, they tried. They tried to incubate. Uh, the yeshiva there tried very hard. Um, you know, really, uh, he gave a lot of his time up to try to make us feel comfortable and welcome. But it was a totally different culture, different language, in a, in a place that was, uh, you know, very difficult to live in, under very difficult living conditions. 
We know we weren't ready and we started to crack and crumble, the three of us. And uh, so in the end of the cracking and crumbling, all three of us left. So the two of them went back home and uh, definitely, okay, my interpretation seemed to have uh, lost uh, in one of their cases, I don't know how much, in the other one, at least some of what they earned, uh, what they worked for and what they developed while they were here, right? So I would uh, consider that a failure. Whereas I went on to, uh, I didn't go home, I went on to Zichon Yaakov, where I was uh, quite delighted to stay for five and a half years. Not really a place that, that incubated in a different way, and it built me into a lot of... Uh, this, you know, what I became capable of being afterwards. So, what's the difference really between us? So the difference is, is what did you say to yourself? How did you frame the failure when it happened? Right? Did you globalize and internalize? I'm not built for yeshiva. You see how it's all there? It's an internalization and a globalization. Right? Not I can't stand this place, I can't deal with this place or this place is very difficult to deal with, or even yeshiva is very difficult to deal with, I already can't, I'm not built for yeshiva. Now, and you hear the justification in there, right? He's also making the failure okay, because he has to. I'm not built for it, no? It's Hashem's problem. Now, nobody's built for yeshiva. Tiger, Sora, Shiba, Yusun, Shiba, Galios. Nobody's built for yeshiva. Okay, we're built to be animals. It's something that you have to work on. Right? That's, uh, it's funny. So that's one way to look at it. And the other way to look at it is because of a conversation I had with a Schwab from Neves, the nephew of the famous Schwab. So he looked at me and he said, listen, you're not happy. And it's only so long that you can continue doing something that you're not happy with. So you got to make a decision now, right, before you, uh, you can't do it anymore. And so my decision from then was, well, who's happy? I looked around to see who was left from my little cohort uh, that was happy, and all the all the ones I found were all in Zichon. So that was uh, how I made that decision. But look at the way he framed the situation for me, right? Now it's true he's talking about me and saying, uh, you know, you're not happy. But that's not a failure, right? That's really telling me that the situation that you're in, the implication was the situation with your that you're in, is one that is making you unhappy, and you have to find a new situation that'll make you happy. It's, it's, it's externalized. It's a temporary problem. It's a particular scene. Right? It's just a hurdle, and I can see the other side of the hurdle. Hey, look, go to a place that would make you happy. Go to a place where you could be happy, and then success will follow. And it did. All right? His version was way more accurate. It wasn't even him selling it to himself or selling it to me to help me make the right decision. It was legitimate and true. And I stood on and I didn't. And I believe part of the reason why is that I, I never internalized it as a failure on my part. It was something that had to be dealt with. It was a situation that was very difficult and something needed to be done or there would be serious consequences. Very serious. I was very motivated to do something about it because what did it have to do with me? It didn't, right? It didn't take me out, right? It's just, this is not a place I can be happy. So let's get moving, okay? That's a story, a real, story from real life that I think demonstrates this principle um, 
in a pretty straightforward fashion.